We are, as I said last week, we are starting the beginning of chapter 13 of the book of Matthew this morning. Um, Last week we went through verses 10 through 17 and talked about why Jesus used parables. This week we're going to look at uh, the first parable in this chapter. And this this whole section here is full of Jesus' teaching in the the form of the parable, specifically on the kingdom of heaven. And that's that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, so without any more introduction, I'm going to ask you all to stand for God's word this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 and then verses 18 through 23. So get your eyeballs ready to to jump across the page. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us the ability to hear and to understand. Father, we thank you for having the Spirit to help us with understanding. Father, I pray this morning that we would handle your word with care, that we would see the truth of the gospel in every word on these pages. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So, as I kind of mentioned this morning in Sunday school, the beginning of chapter 13 is kind of unusual for Matthew because he doesn't tend to do this. Matthew did not intend to write his gospel, or at least did not actually write his gospel, in a strict chronological fashion. He did not write, on Monday this happened, on Tuesday this happened, on Wednesday this happened. If you want a more chronologically laid out gospel, you need to look at the gospel of Luke. If you look at Matthew, he tends to group his things together by topic, by common events or common messages that occurred around the same time. But here Matthew tells us that same day. 
So that's weird. That same day, which is the same day as Jesus' last confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees concerning his authority in Scripture, the same day that he declared that those who do the will of the Father are the ones who are his mother and brothers and sisters, the same day Jesus left the house and he went down to the Sea of Galilee. He went down to the shore. We don't know why. We don't know if he intended on having a teaching session or if he was just trying to step away from the crowd for a little while. We don't know. It doesn't matter. As usual, we even looked at it this morning in uh, chapter 14, when Jesus goes someplace, great crowds follow after him. Even when he's trying to get off on his own in order to mourn the loss of a family member. So here, the crowd comes down to the shore, and there were so many that Jesus got into a boat. Because if you get into the boat, you can push out away from the shore, and you can see more people. You can talk to more people. You can reach more people. I can't even imagine having to preach without the aid of a microphone and an amplifier. That's foreign concept to me. But Jesus was teaching this from the shore to a great crowd of people. And so he began to teach with this parable, the parable of the sower. And I know how many of you have ever heard this parable before? Okay, good. Everybody. Probably hundreds of times. We even talked about it in Sunday school just a month ago. Um, this parable is one of the most common and there's parts of it that are a little bit hard to, to wrap our brains around. I'll be honest. No matter how many times we've heard it, you've probably heard different interpretations of it too. Um, the sower goes out into his field in order to plant some seeds. The seeds would have been grain of some variety, wheat, oats, barley, whatever would have grown over there in the Middle East. Uh, that's the picture that the people would have in their mind. See, when Jesus told stories... He told stories that caused people to envision what he's talking about. He used things that they were familiar with. Everybody in that time frame would understand what a sower was. Now you talk about a sower over here in the United States in 19, or in, yeah, 19, not for a few years, in 2017, and what do you think of? <laughs> Somebody at a sewing machine, right? A sower. But Jesus is talking about somebody who is out planting a field. We don't plant fields like this today. We didn't plant fields like this 30 years ago either. This is a whole lot of work that Jesus is talking about. This sower has a bag, a canvas bag, probably over one shoulder, that they are reaching into, and then they are broadcasting the seed. They are just taking handfuls, and they're chucking it, Okay. Now, can you imagine doing that all day long? All day. Right? It makes my back hurt just standing here. And your shoulder and your arm. And you just, that's some work. And the sower is throwing the seeds. Literally. It really is. It's just, it's, it's, you reach into the bag and you just, just like that. There's, there's no ceremony. There's no purpose. There's no particular. I am married to a meticulous gardener. Okay? I, I'm going to tell you all this. She has yardsticks. 
multiples that are marked out with Sharpie front and back, depending on what she is planting with the exact spacings that they need to be. And she lays them out in a, in a box and, and she has the, the, the ones on the sides and then she has the one in the middle and she moves it and she pokes her holes and she plants her and she moves it. And that's not this guy. Okay. This guy would drive her out of her mind. Around the outside of the field, there's a path, and it is so well-worn, it's like a sidewalk. Now, the, the soil over there tended to be very sandy, uh, and, and, you know, well, you think sand on the beach down here, you have that, that fine, soft, sand in the desert isn't like that. The sand in the desert is much more like talcum powder. It's very, 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 very fine. And when it gets wet and it gets compressed, then it's like sand in concrete. It's hard. And it doesn't break. I mean, you have to go out there and try to break it like you would if you were trying to break up concrete. And so as this guy is reaching in the bag and throwing the seed and reaching in the bag and throwing the seed and reaching in the bag and throwing the seed, as he's walking around this path, some of the seed isn't making it very far. Probably right at his feet. Now I've got a field. Even if all I'm doing is planting a field the size of this sanctuary, right? Let's say this is the path around my field. And I'm broadcasting the seed. I'm going to have to walk all the way around in order to get seed to the middle. And it's hot. And I'm not going to take time to stop and pick up the seeds that have fallen at my feet. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I probably ain't even looking anymore. I'm just, I'm walking and walking and walking and walking. And this is getting really, I mean, holy cow, right? Some of the seed falls on the path. Birds come, birds eat the seed. Why? Because that's what birds do. They're not concerned with getting that seed into the field. They don't have the foresight to understand, look, if I put the seed in the dirt, then the seed is going to sprout and it's going to grow a stalk and that stalk's going to have a whole lot more seed on it. Birds don't do that. Birds eat and then fly over your car and take care of what they've eaten, right? That seed that fell on the, pl- on the path wouldn't even last out the day that it was spread. The birds would have come and picked it right up. Jesus says, other seed fell on rocky ground. Now, where I grew up, it pretty much describes every field that we had. All of them. Because we lived in the mountains, which are made of rock. But where Jesus is talking about, the rocks probably wouldn't have been, they probably weren't the big slate rocks and shale and everything else that came out of our ground. They were probably smaller rocks. And when the field was plowed, they would have been picked up by hand and piled off to the side, probably out of the field, but along the path. Now, rocks are dirty. 
I'm pretty sure when they're pulling them out of the field, they're not taking the time to knock all the dirt off the rocks before they, I know we didn't, and we didn't have to walk the fields much. I mean, we had all these fancy tools that we would drive across the field, and you plow the field, and then you got the drag, and you drag the field, and then so on and so forth. But there were still times where you had to go pick the rocks up and chuck them out of the field. So there's piles of rocks. Dad's having flashbacks. <laughs> and the the problem with plowing a field and removing the rocks is that once you turn the soil and empty out that space where the rocks were, when the rain falls, guess what the soil does? It settles into all of those voids where there used to be rocks. And and guess what's under those voids where there used to be rocks? More rocks. So this is a recurring process. So there's these piles of rocks all over the place around this field. That's why fields seem to grow rocks almost as reliably as they grow weeds. This rocky ground may have been and probably was close to the path. And so, as the seed's being spread, just like some of it's making it as far as the path, some of it is going out of the range that the sower is trying to broadcast it and landing among the rocks. Jesus says there wasn't a lot of dirt there. But there was enough, and there was enough moisture for the seed to germinate. Now when a seed germinates, here's a little botanical lesson for you. When a seed germinates, the first thing it does... When it splits open, as it starts to grow in two directions, it grows the stem and it grows a root. Now, if there's soft dirt with lots of nutrients and stuff in it, it will focus more of its attention into that root than into the stem. But seeds aren't real smart either. They're like birds. They don't necessarily understand the process. They do what they do because this is how God made them. If it grows until it hits a rock then it stops putting nutrients into the root and starts putting them into the stem. And so you wind up with a little tiny little bit of root in that little tiny bit of dirt and a stem sticking up. And then what happens when the storms come? What happens when the sun gets up above the horizon? I mean, this week, the, the picture started floating around the Internet again. You know, you have a picture of the sun and earth and Mississippi, right? It was hot. What happens when that heat hits that plant that doesn't have a root that goes far enough to pull water to keep it hydrated? It burns up, and it dies. And that's what happens to these little seedlings because they didn't have enough root to keep them alive. Other seeds fell in among the thorns and the weeds. And the weeds grew up and choked them out. And that's what weeds will do. Yesterday, the, the one plant that is still thriving in our garden, I am happy to say, are the bell pepper plants that I insist on growing in our garden. They grow really, 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 really well. We've got eight, six or eight bell pepper plants. And I pulled five little bell peppers off of them. Because we let the weeds grow up around the pepper plants. 
And the weeds didn't kill the pepper plants. They're still growing. Some of them still have flowers, and, and they still got some peppers growing on them. But they're stunted because the weeds are pulling the nutrients away from them. The plant's still there, but it's not thriving. And so the weeds choke out the fruit from the plant. And then finally Jesus said, some of the seeds, (laughs) some of the seeds, if you're fortunate, if you're planting this way, all right, if you're planting this way, you're probably only going to lose about 30% of your seed. The rest of it's going to wind up in the garden where you're hoping for. Okay? So some of the seeds went to the good soil, and it sprouted, and it was cultivated. This isn't said here, but it was cultivated, and it grew, and it grew, and it produced fruit. A hundred, sixty, thirty times the seed that the stalk came from. Now, that's what every good farmer is shooting for. I would love to, and someday when I'm old and bored, I might actually do this. You know, you plant one kernel of corn, count the number of kernels on an ear that grows off of that stalk. Right? You plant one bean, count the number of beans that grow off of that plant. Every farmer wants this to happen. Even 30 times what you plant is a good yield, right? That's the parable. But before we go to the explanation of the parable, I want you to catch what Jesus says in verse 9. It's important enough, this is the verse that I had Liam put in the bulletin yesterday. In verse 9, he says... He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I really, 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 really doubt that there were a bunch of people walking around the crowd who didn't have ears. I don't think Jesus is talking about a physical ear. And I really don't think he was talking about people who have the ability to hear versus people who have the ability to not hear. You know, people who are deaf. Uh, There may have been some in the crowd that were deaf, but it's unlikely. It's more likely that everybody there could hear the story that he was teaching. Everybody heard this parable. He was setting up the answer that he gave to the disciples that we looked at last week in verses 10 through 17. That word hear is more than just the physical ability for sound to process through your ear and make sense to your brain. Saying if you hear this, understand it. Or or better, maybe the word there should be listen. He who has ears to hear needs to listen. We all know the difference between hearing and listening, right? Okay? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw myself under the bus because I don't really like picking on other people. There have been a multitude of times over the course of the last 25 years where I have heard words being spoken. And I don't have a clue what they are. She knows this. She's very heartily not nodding her head back there. I can hear, 
but I wasn't listening. Listening comes with paying attention, comes with putting your mind to understanding what's being said, taking what you're hearing and processing it and responding to it. That's the picture that Jesus gives. So then in verse 18, when the disciples come to him and say, why do you teach with parables? None of the other teachers do. Why do you teach with parables? Why is this such a... Jesus says, because some of you have the ability to understand because God's given it to you. Most of them don't. So for to those who do have the ability to hear and to listen, I'm telling them to get what I'm saying. Now we move to verse 18. And again, Jesus says, hear the parable of the sower. I just heard it. No, understand, listen to the parable of the sower. Matthew doesn't tell us in between here that any of the people that were on the shore left. He doesn't tell us that the crowd walked away. He doesn't tell us that that any of the people walked away from this teaching. But they might have. Or it's possible that the conversation that Jesus had with the disciples was in the boat in less of a speaking voice. I told you, I don't understand how a person could preach to a great multitude without the help of amplification, right? Jesus had his outside voice and he had his inside voice. He had his conversational voice and he had his preaching voice. So it's possible that this part was told to the disciples in the boat. And he tells us that the soil type represents the person who hears the word. The seed is the word. The first type of person, pretty easy, pretty straightforward. person who hears the word and doesn't understand. Their heart is hard, like that hard-packed dirt on the path. The word hits it, just kind of bounces around a little bit. Jesus says the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown. Um, I'm, I'm going to say right now, this. I'm not, I'm not blaspheming what Jesus said. But I want you to understand, I don't really think Jesus is, is making the application here that every person who has a hard heart and does not understand the word, that Satan sends his minions in and snatches them away before something can happen. I don't think he has a vested interest in interacting with every unsaved person. And the reason for that is because we live in a fallen world. Satan doesn't have to do stuff to make us ignore the word of God. We do it on our own. So when he says the evil one snatches up the word, it may may as well never have been planted in a heart that lives in a fallen world, in a fallen person who only wants to seek their own. I'm going to jump forward to the fourth Soil, verse 23. As for what was sown what is on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and yields a hundredfold, in another case sixtyfold, in another case thirtyfold. That one's nice and easy to understand. That's the person who hears the word and there's a change in their life. This is what the life of a believer should look like. 
The seed of the gospel is planted in good soil. It sprouts, it blooms, it produces great fruit. That's great. Our lives are changed. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, we're changed in order to do good works that Christ prepared beforehand for us to do. That's a byproduct of a changed life. That takes care of the two that are really, really, really easy to interpret. Okay? I will be honest with you. The two in the middle have been the most controversial. They really are. You can go out and you can, you can buy ten different commentaries off of a shelf at any Christian bookstore and you will probably get at least two, if not four, different interpretations of who the people in the middle represent. The seed sown on the rocky soil, the seed sown among the weeds, a little bit less cut and dried. Jesus says that the ones that that are represented by the rocky soil, they hear the word and receive it with joy, but after a while, the heat of persecution and tribulation, that little sprout burns and withers and dies. To me, that is the emotional convert or the crisis convert. Okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, this comes out of my personal past. This comes out of my personal context. Because 25 years ago, almost to the day, all right, it was actually a little bit more than 25 years ago here by about a month, I was at Lackland Air Force Base. Lackland Air Force Base in July on a Sunday. Would you like to know what I was doing at Lackland Air Force Base on Sunday 25 years ago? I was at the chapel. I was at the chapel with my hands joined with hundreds of other brand new airmen, and we were singing praises. I wasn't saved. I was going through a period in my life where things were hard. As a matter of fact, it was right around the time where I had just earned myself two extra weeks at Lackland Air Force Base because I was too stupid to stand in line without talking. I was at an emotional low. I was going through a crisis. I was separated from my family. I was separated from my sweetheart. My whole life was in turmoil, and Air Force basic training is a cakewalk. If I'd have gone through the Marine Corps, I probably would have been a convert from day one of basic training. This is, this is the kind of convert that you get when people say there are no atheists in foxholes. Because when the world is fighting against you, you want to reach out for something. And there are those people who know somewhere because of something in their past, I need to go to church. I hear it all the time. I hear it from my students. I hear it from my coworkers. Man, things are just terrible. I need to go to church. And they come and they hear a message that plucks at their heartstrings. They sing a song. They see people who have hope. And they think in their human capacity, all I've got to do is emulate what these people have and my problems are gone. And so they walk the aisle 
and they pray the prayer, and they sing the songs, and they may even for a time come to church faithfully. And they might throw themselves into the activities of the church. They might look like a Christian. They might walk like a Christian. They might talk like a Christian. But in this case, they're probably not. And the way that it is told is what Jesus says. When persecution because of the word. They're already going through persecution in their life. He says persecution because of the word. So now all of a sudden, these people who have thrown themselves 150% into the life of church, who are doing the right stuff, and they've cut off the wrong stuff from their life, their friends start kicking them to the curb. Oh, now you're one of those weird churchy people. Hey, you guys still going out to lunch on Friday? Yeah, but we'd really rather you not come because you make a big show of praying before we eat and you're just acting all kinds of weird and, and we'd rather you just... That's what Jesus is talking about when he says persecution because of the word. Because they've made an outward change to their life and people don't like it. Because the world doesn't like it. And when that persecution comes, when that heat is turned on them, that faith that they were proclaiming shrivels up and disappears. Maybe the crisis that they were responding to resolves itself. Maybe the the loved one that had walked away from them or the financial situation they were in, whatever it was, it's gone They no longer have that pressure, and now they're feeling the pressure from the people on the outside to, you know, you used to be a lot more fun. And so that life change goes away. Then you have the seed that was sown among the weeds. The seed that sprouts and it grows, but it doesn't produce fruit because of the competition of the weeds. There are things in this world that compete for our attention. You might be surprised, but even as believers, we deal with that. I know that's hard to to believe. We got it all wrapped up, right? If you listen to some preachers, if you just have enough faith, all your problems go away. means we don't have to worry about paying our bills anymore, right? Because God just miraculously takes care of that for us. No. We still live in this world. That's, that's what was meant when Scripture says we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. Okay, we're supposed to be different from the world, but we still live here. My bank still requires me to pay for my house. The, the mortgage company, they still expect me to send them a check. And Mississippi Power, y'all know what I'm saying, they expect me to pay them for the Kemper Power Plant. Repeatedly. The city of Biloxi wants me to pay for water and the garbage truck to come by my house twice a week for now. 
I have obligations, which means I have to go to work. And when I go to work, I go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I come home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's a job that I've been doing now for the last 13 years. And it's very easy when I walk into that door to get tied up in the rat race. It's very easy for me to get tied up in the things that I deal with day to day. And it's very easy for me to forget that God's promised to help me. That He's promised to give me what I need to get through the day. It's very easy for me as a parent to focus all of my energies in raising those kids. Now, it's also very easy for me, because I'm the dad who works outside the house, to put that off on mom. (laughs) But there's all kinds of things that steal our fruitfulness. And Jesus says, some of the seed gets in the deep weeds. And that plant grows, and that plant struggles for nutrition. And, and, And you know, the funny thing about plants, even if they can't produce fruit, they will pull enough nutrients from the soil to grow leaves so that they can make more nutrients to grow stem so that they can make more nutrients to grow more leaves even if they can't make fruit. They still have that much energy. Those little pepper plants in my yard, in the garden, Surrounded by dollar weed, surrounded by Bahia grass, surrounded by purple nut sedge, straight from the pits of hell. Those plants, some of them are this tall. I've got one that's probably this tall. One bell pepper hanging off that thing. Because that's all the energy it could muster. That's all the fruit it could make. That fruit. Is that one bell pepper of the plant what what I was really hoping for out of that bell pepper plant? No. No, I like bell peppers. I didn't used to when I was a kid. I hated the things. Couldn't stand them. But now, saute them up with some onions served on a roll with a bratwurst off the grill or an Italian sausage or diced up in some spaghetti sauce. No, I wanted fruit off of that plant. The plant's doing the best it can. It's being choked out by weeds. I am certain there are people who disagree with me. But I think these two middle types, the rocky soil and the weed-filled soil, represent the majority of people that are in the church. I want you to notice there's one thing that Jesus did not say about any of these soil types. He didn't say anything at all about their eternal status. He didn't say anything at all about these are the saved people, these are the unsaved people. He said these are the ones who show fruit. These are the ones who took root but don't grow fruit. These are the ones who burn away after persecution hits, and these are the ones that the seed doesn't even sprout. That's all he said. 
the people represented by the rocky soil, they may be Christians. They may genuinely be saved. It's possible. It's unlikely. But it's one of those things that bears more watching in their life. And this is why we don't just kick people to the curb. We don't make a judgment for now that has eternal implications. Because I don't know. And if a person who's represented by the rocky soil is somebody in your life, somebody who's come to this church, then what do we need to do? We need to come alongside and nurture that plant. Maybe transplant it out of the rocky soil. Maybe move it someplace where there's good soil. The weed-choked soil, they may not be believers, but I tend to believe that they are because the seed took root and it grew. And I say that because I've been there. And I challenge you, if you think about your life, you've been there too. Because I'm pretty certain that amongst this group, there aren't any of us who can say, well, I'm the, I'm the 100% fruit growth. No, you might be able to say I'm the 100% fruit cake. <laughs> but not 100% fruit yield. None of us are at that point in our life. I've had my kingdom fruitfulness stunted because of the things of this world. Now, before we shift gears into our celebration of the Lord's Supper, I want to I make one point here about something that's missing. I'm not talking about the interpretation of the parable. But I want to point something out about the person that Jesus is talking about in the parable for the whole parable. And that's the sower. What does the sower do? He's planting the seeds. That's what he's called to do. Just plant the seeds. Just plant the seeds. He doesn't weed the garden. He doesn't go through the rocks looking for the seeds that fell in the rocks so that they can be moved to the good soil. He doesn't go back over the path with a broom and a dustpan sweeping up the seeds that fell on the path so he can toss them back out in the field. The mission of the sower is to sow. He doesn't cause the plants to grow. He doesn't harvest the fruit. And he doesn't condemn the plants for their lack of growth. His job is to sow. There may be a point in your Christian life where you are given the mission to be the sower. If that's the case, 
Your job is to sow. Your job is to put out the word. Scripture tells us that some water and others reap the harvest. If you're given the mission to sow and you don't, then there's nothing that needs watered. And there's nothing that's going to get harvested. We need to listen to what God tells us to do. And not take the application of these parables beyond what Jesus tells us. Jesus is speaking to these men. Remember I said Matthew started off by saying that same day, that same day following on the heels of whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. That same day, that's context. That same day, Jesus was telling them that the will of God is for us to go out and to share the word with people. We need to do that. We need to worry about doing that before we start worrying about what plants are growing in the garden. Now, I say all of this leading up to the Lord's Supper. Why? Because in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim it in here amongst us as believers. But when we walk outside, we have a responsibility to be obedient and to proclaim that gospel to a lost world.